0: Let us pray. Almighty God, help us to know you. Help us to know ourselves in you. Help us to seize you. So rekindle our hearts with a love for you, almighty. That we might enjoy you. So may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. It's easy to become content in seasons such as this. It's a comfortable season. It's not cold like winter, is it? Food's not scarce. We have rain and sunshine. It's easy to become content. We could just as well as say that it's easy to become uncivilized. It's easy to become uncivilized. It's easy to make our lies, as the prophet Isaiah says, Our refuge. We live by lies. We are certainly not civilized in the kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so I invite you to open up your Bibles. We will be looking at Hebrews 12. Open up your orders of service, take a look at it. We will be looking at Hebrews 12 just like we did last week. But this week we will look at the second part of this chapter. Verses 12 to 17 serves as a hinge, a hinge paragraph. I know that yours begins with verse 15. That's the lectionary's fault, not mine. But verses 12, I think it's important, to 17, serve as this hinge-like paragraph that swings us from a stadium. Remember, we've been running this race, this race of faith, to a kingdom. We swing from a stadium to a kingdom, where we are beloved citizens and servants of the king, civilized. And our king, mind you, makes us kings. Here we are exhorted in verse 12 to 17 to be strengthened, right? To strengthen ourselves, our hands and weak knees. We're to make straight our paths so that What is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. We are to be at peace with everyone, not full of strife and bitterness. We are not competitors, but a heavenly company. You see how it's shifting, how we're swinging from stadium to kingdom. We're not to be like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. We are to be focused and fixed upon Christ. You see, whether we are running this race or citizens and servants in a kingdom that cannot be shaken, the point and the purpose is clear. It's about Christian living. That's what our text is about. Christian living. It's about what the Christian life looks like. So what are the lessons that we should learn from this passage about the Christian life? The first lesson that we learn is that we have an immense value in the kingdom that cannot be shaken. You see, citizens and servants of this kingdom have immense value, and it changes everything. When the Christian knows that he is valued, it changes his entire life. Look at how the Christian is described in verses 12 12 to 17 of being strong, helpful, and focused. Why else has the church issued such a charge in verse 15? To see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. You see, when we are valued, we are made strong. And when we are made strong, we are worthy of receiving such a charge. That charge is that we are to see to it that no one fails to receive or obtain the grace of God. See, God's people are not helpless. They're valued and they and and know they are valued and it changes everything. It changes how they live. Now, don't misunderstand me. God's children are not given an authority above their Lord, but neither are they helpless. Our Lord makes us strong and useful and focused on him and his glory and our enjoyment. But we must be careful that we are possessed by our Lord and not by anything else, right? That's the point. If we wish to obey this charge and to see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, then Christ must be ever before us. He must consume us. I'm reminded of when Ashley and I lived in Exeter, England. I served at the Royal Marines Commando Training Center there. And there was a coffee shop that I liked to frequently visit on the northeast side of Exeter Cathedral. There the sun would shine in and it would serve as a heat trap, which I cherished, especially on those frequent cold and damp days. And on one particular Friday, I remember sitting there enjoying the beautiful scenery, gazing at the thousand-year-old cathedral, contemplating the power of preservation— And then suddenly, to my surprise, there was a procession. I had forgotten that it was Good Friday. I had the day off. I had become distracted from my Lord. You see, preservation may be important. It may even be powerful. But it's not the point. Christ is he is the cornerstone he is the foundation for which everything else is laid it would do us well to remember that it was the Anglicans or the Episcopalians who were one of the last denominations that evangelized the West in the mid 1800s why because they were preoccupied with other things their civic duties their architectural revivals We must be ever vigilant in ensuring that we are valued citizens and servants of Christ's unshakable kingdom. Why? So that we may truly know how helpful we are in helping others to see the glorious good news of Christ for them. Do we know that? Do we know that we are helpful? If we don't, then you do not know that you are valued. You see, if we know we're valued, then we will certainly be strong and helpful for the Lord. We must look to Him. We must learn to Him. We must ask ourselves if we are focused on preservation rather than the person, the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. So set your heart not on leaving a mark in this first-generation church, but make your mark on the kingdom that cannot be shaken. Make it your endeavor to be a member and to gather members for Christ's unshakable kingdom. We should ask ourselves are we helpful or are we helpless and seeing to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God? What a charge! But how true for those who are in Christ. Are we focused on keeping this church clean and tidy or making it full and mighty? These are the questions that we should ask ourselves. If we be valued citizens of Christ's unshaken, unshakable kingdom, then we must be focused on the king and the king's mission. We're no longer paralyzed, as described in the previous portion of the chapter. No, we are participants. We are part of this heavenly communion. And you know what that communion is? It's united in the Godhead. We are participants. Our hands are no longer drooping. Our knees are no longer weak, but strong. We are transformed from helplessness to helpfulness. So ask yourself, am I willing to see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God? The second lesson that we learn is that we have an unconquerable faith as citizens and servants in the kingdom that cannot be shaken. An unconquerable faith. Notice the contrast in verses 18 to 24 of this old and new covenant Undoubtedly, the writer of Hebrews is making the practical point that the citizens and the servants of Christ's unshakable kingdom have no reason to fear. You see, that's the practical point. We have no reason to fear. After all, what would we fear? What would we fear? Would we fear that we could not endure the order that was given as described in verse 20? That is God. That has changed. Christians have no need to tremble in fear as Moses is described in verse 21. Why? Because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen to those comfortable words and we hear, it, hear those same words later on in our liturgy. God so loved the world As Bishop Ryle correctly states, this familiar verse describes the powerful pity love of God. Not the elective love of God, but the pity love of God. It is no less supreme, this pity love of God. We would do well to contemplate how deep and how rich the Father's pity love is for the world so that we might seize it. You see, that's faith. That we seize it. We will never enjoy God's elective love if we do not contemplate His pity love. Why? Because He would have us that we seize Him. That we approach Him. Lest we dishonor the God who loved us so much that went to such great lengths for us. You see, the Almighty is no longer unapproachable and Israel is no longer to live in fear. Yes, we are the new Israel and we are to live in faith. God may not have been unapproachable in the old covenant, but he is ready to be seized in the new covenant. And he's worthy of such. We come to him not in ourselves, you see, We come to Him in Christ. You see, it's not a matter of whether you will come. You will come. Who will you come to, though? Are you concerned with Mount Sinai? Or are you concerned with Mount Zion? Are you concerned with proximity? Just being close? Like the Israelites of the Old Covenant at the foot of the mountain? Are you concerned... With the person, Jesus, the Christ, our Lord, our Savior. Two times the author uses the word come. The first time is in verse 18. The second time is in verse 22. He's contrasting the old and the new. The first describes the old covenant. It echoes the giving of the law at Mount Sinai and describes the majesty of God and and how he was unapproachable and fear inducing for Israel. We're reminded of Exodus 19, aren't we? And how God instructed Moses to set limits for all people all around. Why? So that they not be put to death, we read. You see, proximity is important for Mount Sinai, but for Mount Zion, proximity is insufficient. Beware. Your associations will not suffice. The second time the author uses the word come, in verse 22, he describes the new covenant and the glory of Mount Zion. He describes what has changed. Notice the description of Mount Zion in verses 22 to 24. We're given a a litany of characteristics and traits. The change you see that has occurred has not lessened. or weakened God's covenant, but fulfilled and secured it. Just as God was holy then, God is holy now. Just as He was majestic then, He is majestic now. You see, the difference is, is He is no longer unapproachable. He is approachable. You see, proximity is... No longer a matter that will keep us safe. We are now to approach the almighty God with and in and through Christ, our Lord, our Savior. The only thing that will ensure our safety is that personal name for which the author of Hebrews frequently uses. Catch this. Jesus, he calls him by his personal name. He understands the personhood is more important than proximity. Proximity. We see it here in verse 24, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And so I ask, are we concerned with proximity or are we concerned with the person? Is our life ordered by fear of the old covenant or by faith of the new? Do we think that we are safe by remaining at the foot of the mountain? Do we think that we are truly safe by simply giving ourselves boundaries or limits Child of God, you need much more than limits. You need the love of Christ. Seize the love of Christ. You will never have it unless you seize it. And you will never know the love of Christ until you seize it. You cannot afford to live in fear. You must live in faith. Christ's unshakable kingdom is ready for you to seize. God may have been unapproachable in the old But he is ready to be seized in the new. That is the unconquerable faith. We'll never honor the majesty of God by touting his greatness and living in our smallness. We can't allow fear to order our life. No, we are to be people of faith, taking risks, boldness. Boldness. Yes, we must acknowledge the great change that has occurred, an unconquerable change. We have no reason to fear. And this is why Paul, the apostle, writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, all things are authorized for you, but all things are not authorized for you to do. Now, you won't find that translation in your Bible, but that is an accurate translation. Paul is using a play on words here. Two words of authority, exestine and exousia. He's saying all things are authorized for you, but all things are not authorized for you to do. He is describing the transference of authority, of enslavement. He says you were once enslaved to the world, but now you are enslaved with Christ. And he is a good master. He has raised us up into heavenly places. He has seated us with him and the Father. We are in this heavenly company We are kings and citizens and servants of this kingdom that cannot be shaken. So who are you coming to? Are you coming to Christ? Or are you just coming close? Close enough? Do you desire to be associated or do you desire to be a citizen and a servant of the king? Are you concerned with proximity or are you concerned with the person? There have been countless people who have unfortunately over-concerned themselves with those things that do not last, do not be one of them. Treasure not the things on earth, but the things in heaven. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing. Let's live by faith in clinging to the trustworthy promise that we have received that has been fully revealed in Christ. We must be a church that is completely and totally about Jesus, you see. There's nothing safe. Not our liturgy. Not our rituals. Not our songs. Not even our powerful experiences. However important they be, they are not safe. There's only one person that's safe. And that is the image of the invisible God. Who took your place and your punishment? Child of God, do you know that you are valued, that you are loved, and that He is ready to be seized? So be careful that you do not identify yourself as simply Anglicans or certain type of Anglicans. No, we must identify ourselves as Christians. It's not just beloved followers of Christ, but followers that love Christ. So ask yourself, what kind of person am I? What kind of church are we? Are we concerned with Christ and him alone? Are we making every effort to seize him and to help others seize him? You see, we must live by faith. Not faith in our principles or our policies or anything else, but faith in the person of Jesus. We must live and place our confidence in the good news of Jesus, the God man who has broken down the dividing wall of hostility and has brought peace. If we cannot be grateful for Christ's good news, then we can be sure that we are not living in Christ by faith. So measure your heart. Are you grateful? Are you living in faith? Have you seized Christ? And this leads me to our final lesson that we learn from this passage. And it is that we are doubly responsive if we be citizens and servants of the kingdom that cannot be shaken. Look at verses 25 to 29. We must be doubly responsible. To think that we can do anything less is missing the point. Responsibility will not suffice. That is what the old covenant focused on. We must be doubly responsible to whom much is given, much is required, you see. We must not refuse him who is speaking, as we read in verse 25. Do not refuse him. Be responsible. Focus The focus of our passage Today is this, is that God speaks His voice and speaking is central to our salvation. It is central to our identity. Three times God's voice and speaking is referred. We see it in verse 19. We see it in verse 24. And we see it here in verse 25. God speaks. He has spoken and He will continue to speak. You see, if we expect to hear and to receive God's Word, then we must believe that He speaks. That's fundamental. When was the last time you considered the God who speaks? I'm sure we would know that we are more valued. I'm sure that we would be more ready to seize Him. And most certainly, we would be more responsible Christians. Are we listening to the Word? Are we contemplating His glorious words and works? Do we consider the arrangements and the dispensations that God has made so that you might not refuse Him, but seize Him? You see, this is the most loving warning that we need not overlook. For those who reject the word of the prophets who stood on earth, we are told, were not able to escape the judgment of God. How much more will those who reject the word of God who is in heaven not be able to escape his judgment? You see how the doubly responsible citizen and servants of this unshakable kingdom have great sobriety and awareness of what is at hand? This is the critical coordinate moment. The new covenant is here. God is approachable. We must act with double the responsibility and seize him. If we wish to last, then we must not only see to it that we do not refuse who is speaking, but we must see to it that we echo those words, those final verses of our passage beginning with verse 28. We must see to it that we be grateful. Grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We must see to it that we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence in all for our God is a consuming fire. See just as a single breath may ignite and extinguish a flame, we can be sure that so will the almighty On that final day, he will either ignite or extinguish all that he has created. He's a consuming fire. Child of God, know that you are valued and helpful and strong in God's kingdom. Know that God so loved the world and that you can seize and serve him now in his kingdom. Know that you are desperately poor and needy to hear God speak and continue to speak. We cannot be content with just God has spoken, but God must continue to speak and encourage our hearts so that we might inherit this unshakable kingdom of heaven.